The scripture you saw on the slide was John, Gospel of John, chapter 1, instead of 1 John. So Alan got it right. <laughs> Both talking about light, though, that's going to be our discussion this morning, is talking about the idea of walking in the light and what that really means. Because this particular passage from 1 John chapter 1 is a very important one because it discusses what we do after we've become Christians if we commit sin. Just because someone obeys the gospel and is born again and becomes a follower of Jesus does not make us perfect. Anyone surprised by that? <laughs> when I was a new convert, it, it kind of rocked my world to understand that when someone's born again, when they are a Christian, they're still very much human. They still make mistakes. We sometimes still stumble and fall. And how we respond to that particular thing taking place in our life, it really defines how we live the Christian life. It's a huge step to be able to become a Christian who's mature enough to say, you know what, I'm not perfect. I'm going to fall. I'm going to commit sin. There are going to be issues in my life that I cannot overcome by my own power. And by trusting in the word of God and knowing what we need to do in light of the fact that we still sometimes stumble and fall and go into sin is a very important part of maturing in the Lord. So let's begin our conversation this morning by talking about what it means for us if we are Christians who sometimes stumble into sin. What does it mean to walk in the light? The first thing we have to do is ensure that we are in Christ. That's the first and foremost fundamental idea behind understanding this conversation this morning. If you don't know what it means to be in Christ, we are missing a huge key to unlocking the idea of walking in the light. If we go over to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the book of Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Should be a slide somewhere around there, Vicki. There we are. Look at that. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. It reads this way, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we read that so often sometimes that we don't slow down, and by we I mean me, and I just forget the whole meaning behind the particular passage. So again, the wages of sin is death. What you are putting at stake when you commit sin is when it comes to your spiritual and physical life. But in contrast to that, the gift of God is eternal life. And we can just pause right there for the clause. So we know that when we commit sin, what we are forfeiting is our spiritual life before God. That's a huge wage. It's a huge bet that we're hedging when it comes to committing sin in our life. And yet all of us, as people that live in this fallen world, at one point or another, have forfeited our right for eternal life by committing sin. That's a part of the human condition. We should know it because God knows it, and God revealed it to us in his word. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if we know where eternal life is, which means in Christ, we need to know what it takes to get in Christ. That's a very fundamental step to understand what it means to overcome the idea of sin. If we drop down now to Romans chapter 6, Beginning in verse 3, I think I said Romans 6, 23. It's Romans 5, 23 that I read before. But Romans 6, beginning in verse 3, 
Paul begins the conversation this way, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. So if we know that we have committed sin, that death is our future, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, the question again is posed, how do we get into Christ? Very fundamental. Romans chapter 6, Paul says, don't you know that when we were baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death? So what takes place is we realize we've committed sin. We realize we want that eternal life that God has offered us through the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we respond to it? We are immersed or baptized into Christ, that just like he was put into the tomb and walked out with newness of life, we come out of that water in Christ, and we have the access to eternal life, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, when you go through that process, we eventually get into the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And here is the summary of what it means when you are living faithfully in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So again, what's the first step to understand the principle of walking in the light? Make sure you're in Christ. Quite simple. If you're someone who has never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, never put on Christ in baptism, never begun your journey as a Christian, that, that's the first foundational step to make sure that you know how to walk in the light. The second thing I would suggest for you this morning about walking in the light is be assured that you have an advocate. Now, this may not be a surprise to many of you, but I've never been to a courtroom before where I was on trial. Paul couldn't have said that, by the way, but I, cannot, I can't say I've ever been to trial before. I've never needed a lawyer, as far as I know. Never incriminated myself. I've never been before a jury or a judge in any kind of significant way. But when it comes to approaching the judgment seat of God, my creator, I can't do it by myself, nor can you. We have an advocate with our Father, the person of Jesus the Christ. Over in the book of 1 John chapter 2, a little bit beyond our text for the morning, we find this. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That's the ideal, right? That's the goal we're shooting for. And if anyone sins, which is possible, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That word advocate there is very powerful because it means someone standing in our defense. It is someone who is going to be a mediator between us and the ultimate judge of heaven. We have Jesus standing in front of us, explaining our situation before him. And it's quite simply the case that if we are in Christ, then we have nothing to fear when it comes to judgment. Y'all with me? Okay, we're going to have a summary at the end, so make sure you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> make sure you're in Christ. Are you in Christ? That's the first question. Secondly, do you know you have an advocate before God, your Father, the judge of all eternity? Christ is our advocate. 
This is an ancient concept of having someone speaking for you on your behalf. In fact, the book of Job. I don't know why I keep going to Job with you guys. I've been here for almost four months. I've gone to Job more with you than I've ever gone before. But here we are in Job. In Job chapter 9, we have a discourse from Job who's going through immense suffering and pain and loss and grief. And he is confused as to why all the good things in his life was taken away from him. And in Job chapter 9, he's facing the accusation from his so-called friends that he must be guilty of some heinous sin in his life. And he says, no, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I've offered sacrifice like God told me to. There is no cause for me to be suffering the way that I am. And yet, in Job chapter 9, he has just this moment of emotional expression complaining about what his situation is. So in Job chapter 9, beginning in verse 32, he talks about God, and he wants to talk to him like a man. He's got a bone to pick. (laughs) He's suffering, and he doesn't know why. If God is just, why is a just God allowing suffering in his life? Thankfully, as a culture, we've moved on past that question, right? (laughs) A good God doesn't allow bad things to happen to good people, does he? Well, Job had that problem. It's the first book ever penned in the Old or New Testament. And Job has that problem he's dealing with. In Job chapter 9, verse 32, Because he, talking about God, is not a man as I am, that I may answer him or defend myself against him, and that we should go to court together. So he says, I want to go to court with God. And I want him to explain to me why my life is full of suffering if I'm so righteous in his eyes. Again, thankfully, we don't have those questions today. If you're a person who's in Christ, there's no guarantee for an easy life. Right? And keep on reading here in verse 33. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Again, first book of the scriptures ever penned on the timeline of canon. And Job has the problem, there's no one that can explain to me what the issue is between God and myself. There's no one to to be able to be fully on God's side and fully on my side. And yet we look at Jesus, who is God, with us, Emmanuel, and he's able to satisfy God's spiritual uh, requirements and also able to understand how we feel in this physical world. So we have an advocate with the Father. If we go over to 1 John chapter 2, again in verse 2, let's turn there together. Back to verse 1 for context, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the ideal. But if anyone does sin, which is a possibility, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then verse 2, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's taken me about a decade to be able to pronounce propitiation correctly and not stumble along the way. So I'll say that word propitiation in the English is the Greek word for mercy seat. 
If you can recall in your mind the temple or tabernacle style of worship, you'd have the holy place where all the furniture was that represented things from God's blessings. And then you have the veil separating the holy place from the most holy place. And once a year, you'd have the high priest with the blood sacrifice enter in on the Day of Atonement past that veil or that curtain to approach the Ark of the Covenant, a golden box, right, that symbolized God's presence among the Jewish people. On top of the Ark or that golden box was the mercy seat of God. And you would have to sprinkle blood the entire time you were in the most holy place because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. We learn later in the book of Hebrews. And so what we're seeing here in John is John is describing who Jesus is for us. He's not only our advocate before the great judge, God our Father, he's also the mercy seat, the one who was sacrificed to give us access to the presence of God himself. You all with me? So first and foremost... We have to be in Christ to be able to walk in the light. Secondly, we have to know that Christ is our advocate. He is the go-between between us and God, our creator. He is the sacrifice for our sins. And then we move on to the idea of the insurance that we have of confession. The insurance of confession. The idea of insurance shouldn't be that complicated for all of us. Some of us drove here this morning, right? Did you get an accident along the way? Hopefully not. If anyone did, I didn't hear about it, right? If you do get into an accident, hopefully you're insured. Just in case something happens, you're covered is the idea, right? Now, how is life insurance not a scam? They're betting that you don't die. You're betting that you are, and eventually you're going to be right. That's life insurance, right? When it comes to the insurance of confession, it doesn't mean that we have to constantly confess what we've done wrong just in case we happen to die before we confess it. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Let's go to the first John chapter 1. It's going to be our main point for today, so if you've not heard point 1 and 2, just forget it. Number 3 is the most important one. Let's turn there together. For the context, let's begin with verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. John's got a way about him. When he writes, he can't just start with where he thinks the people are. He has to start with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. <laughs> just He can't help himself. He goes, in the beginning, right? That which was from the beginning, meaning the Logos, the Word of God. Verse 2, the life was made manifest, or clearly seen before us, and we've seen it, and we testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim or preach also unto you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. You all track that? You follow it the whole way through? It's not the easiest of intros. It's not Paul just saying, hey, 
Hope y'all are doing well. This is him saying, listen, we've heard about the Logos, the Word of God. We've seen it. We've, we've handled it. We've touched him. And now we testify who Jesus the Christ is. And through that relationship, we all have fellowship and access to God the Father. That's all he's trying to say, really. Not a big deal. Verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. So here we get to the real meat of the conversation. He is saying, this is the essence of what we're trying to teach you in this epistle or this letter. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, you might say a relationship that's good with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So again, for all of us this morning, myself included, are we in Christ? Do we know we have an advocate with God, our Father, the Judge? Are we walking in the light by confessing our sins? He's saying here, if you say you have a good relationship with God, but you're walking in darkness, it cannot be. That's not the truth. You are lying to yourself. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, here's the dichotomy, the contrast. But... If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Let's pause right there. The Greek here is a little bit more clear for us. If you have the old King James Version, which is not that old, by the way, the old King James Version, you have cleansetheth. With a TH at the end, right? It's a continuation. You have the Greek word here of cleaning us from all sin or cleansing us from all sin. That's a continual process that's taking place there. Not a one-time action, but a continual process. So as we are walking in the light and we have fellowship with God and with Jesus, we are being cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ. To understand that is absolutely paramount because the implications are quite severe. Sometimes when you have someone getting baptized into Christ, someone may walk over and say, hey, enjoy it. You're the cleanest now you will ever be when it comes to sin. Biblically, that's nonsense. Sorry if you've ever said that. <laughs> it's just not true. If you're walking in the light this very morning, you are as clean before God as you were when you came out of that water. That is key to understand because sometimes the guilt of us being Christians, being in Christ, knowing we have an advocate with the Father, and then thinking that we're still guilty of sin can stop our maturing and growth in Christ. Y'all with me? This is important. I'll tell you what I thought happened for the longest time. I thought what happened was, you become a Christian. You are born again. You can walk in newness of life. And then guess what? As a Christian, you commit sin. 
whoops, <laughs> it happened. And so what do you do? Let's keep reading here in the text. Verse 8 of 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then verse 9, here's the prescription. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. So here's what I thought happened for the longest time. You're a Christian. Walk in newness of life. You commit a sin. What do you do? You confess it. Say, hey, Lord, you know I sinned. I made a mistake. Forgive me. And if I die at that moment, I go to heaven. Next time, I commit a sin. Ah, say, I'm sorry. I confess it. And then, if I die right then, I go to heaven. Not before, but right after. And so I'm always straddling this fence where if I've confessed my most recent sin, I'm good. And then I sin, and then I'm not. And then I'm on that fence again. I sin, ah, not good. Confess it, I'm good again. <laughs> the problem is, that's not what the Bible teaches. Are you walking in the light, or are you walking in darkness? That's the only qualification. The idea of confessing our sins is not on a case-by-case -case basis. Can you stand before God and say, Hey, listen, you know me better than I know myself. You know that I'm fallible, that I'm human, that I sometimes commit sin. And I'm humbling myself before your grace and mercy to know that in your Son is eternal life. And I am in your Son and doing my best. That's walking in the light, folks. Now, in contrast to that, if I say, well, I know I've got this sin in my life, and I just don't care. I want to keep this darkness inside of me, and I will not submit to the mercy and grace of our Lord. This is my sin, and I want it more than my Creator. That's walking in darkness. And you are one or the other this morning. I wouldn't dare tell you which camp you're in. <laughs> this is freeing to us because we know when we're trying to do what God told us to do. And we know when we've got those little secret things that we love in our life more than Him. And you're again in one of those camps this very morning. It's not like you're on this fence and if you happen to die when you said you're sorry for that one little thing you did, you get to go to heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not any good news. That's a fearful message. It's a guilty message. It's not liberation or freedom in Christ to think, as long as I say I'm sorry, at the exact right moment, I get to go to heaven. What you get from that is a bunch of people who think they're saved. You hear me? You get a bunch of people who kind of think that they're going to go to heaven if they die. Preaching the gospel, evangelizing, getting people to join our mission here that the Lord gave us sounds something like this. Hey, will you come to church with me on Sunday? We've got a lot of people there that are pretty sure that they might go to heaven one day. We're not too sure because, you know, we sometimes commit sin, but as long as you say you're sorry right before your last breath, you might be able to make it. That's no good message. 
That's not good news. That's, I don't want to go there. Instead, you say, listen, we've got a bunch of people here, and they're people, and they're fallible, just like myself, and sometimes we don't get it right. But we're walking in the light. We're doing our best. We're trying to glorify his name with the mission that our Lord Jesus gave us. Will you join us? That's good news. So the message this morning for you is to know what it means to walk in the light. It does not mean that you are sinlessly perfect. There's only one man who ever walked this earth who was. And the good news is that he died for your mistakes and for mine. The Lord knows we're fallible. That's why there is a plan of salvation to begin with. If we are walking in the light, we have that continual cleansing from the blood that was shed for my sins and for yours. First of all, know that you are in Christ. That's the first step. That's the foundation. You begin there by following Jesus. Know that when you face your judge, the creator of heaven and earth, you are not by yourself. You have an advocate standing between you and him. All he's going to say is, yep, he's in me. I shed my blood for that individual, and he's been walking in the light. He's my servant. He's my brother. He's my friend. That's our advocate. And then use the insurance of confession. Remain humble. Stand before God and by your Lord Jesus and say, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm trying my best. If I've made mistakes in the past, which I know I have, I've tried to learn from them, forgive myself because you've forgiven me, and move forward. Keep moving forward. That's walking in the light, folks. And what good news it is that John explained it that way. We know that we commit sin. But we also know that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and his blood continually cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This morning, that good news is for you. If you've obeyed it already, and you are walking in the light, God bless you. We're in this together. If you're someone who's not walking in the light, now you don't really have an excuse, unfortunately. Sorry to do that to you. <laughs> There's a great opportunity in front of you. God is blessing you with this very moment to look within yourself and say, hey, have I been beating myself up over things that God already forgave me for? Or am I going to pick myself up and move forward with this body of the Lord and do the best work I can? If you're not walking in the light this morning, what's your reason? He's given us the good news. If anyone has a need to respond, please come forward now as we stand and we sing.